Good morning to each of you and greetings in the Master's name. I had to think this morning of the commandment of Jesus. He said that when you're bidden to a feast, and I don't know if this is a feast or not, I don't know what you're expecting, but don't sit in the uppermost chairs and the seats, but lest you be demoted, but sit lower and then that you can be called up. And I'm not going to enforce anything, but I'm going to offer the invitation. There's a whole bunch of empty seats. So friends, feel free to come up. Last Sunday that I preached, two weeks ago, who remembers what the title of that message was? Had a number in it. That's right. Who can recall, children especially, who can recall what at least one or two of those things were? Surely somebody does. Anyway, yes, Amy? Lying, that's right. We looked at some verses in Proverbs and especially on pride and lying. I'll read, I'll read those verses again, Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, thick feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. So, a question for you now. What are things that the Lord loves and delights in, or is pleased with? What comes to your mind? Mercy? Truth. Spirit fruit. We're going to look at a few things this morning, and I don't have a number, but we're going to look at some things the Lord loves. And we'll touch on some of these. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 66 for a introductory passage. As you ponder and meditate on Scripture, there's a lot of of places where things are implied that are not specifically stated as such. And you can't just go and search, this is what the Lord 
loves and that has everything that the Lord loves. There's a lot of, of you know, implications otherwise, but there are things that are specifically mentioned. And as I thought of these things the Lord hates, I didn't go and try to match up to them things the Lord loves that are the opposite but some definitely fall that way. And here in Isaiah 66, verses 1 to 4, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things that my hands have made, excuse me, for all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. I'm going to stop there. We see God in his majesty saying, I have created the world. I have made anything, everything. It's all mine. And yet... I will look. I will take notice. I will pay special attention. Could I say I will delight in? Him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my word, that is a humble person. That's the opposite of the proud person that God hates. He loves a humble person. Humility. There's a contrast then here in this passage. In verse 3, He that killeth an ox as if he slew a man, he that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck, he that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood, he that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol, yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them because when I called, they did not none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and to choose that in which I delighted not. Now this contrast, I've read these verses and I have kind of went, well, that's one of those hard sayings. I'm not sure what it means. And I spent a good bit of time pondering these verses, and I, I don't know that I have a complete answer. Uh, there's some different, different renderings and different versions that give a little bit different slant, but I would, I would sum it up this way, that these, you may have a man that does what the Lord requires, but he does it with contempt, or at the same time does the thing that the Lord hates. And so there's not a purity of heart and he has no respect for God's offerings. Proud. This is what I want to do. And this is what I think would be fun or good. And God says, you choose your delusions and your pride, and I'm, I'm going to, to judge those that do that because they're not acting in humility. God delights in those that are humble. Isaiah 57, 15 is a verse that I learned years ago. And it's one of the most amazing verses to consider. And it, it repeats a lot of the thought of, or is repeated in Isaiah 66. 
Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's who God wants to dwell with. That's who he delights to dwell with. The person of a humble spirit this contrite. A number of other verses briefly in Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, I find that interesting at how there's a number of other places it talks about sacrifices being expected to be what God wants. And if you read through the, the law, the Levitical law, there's a lot of emphasis placed on sacrifice, bringing an animal, bringing grain, bringing these things and giving them to God. And it seems like that would be what God wants because he said, do these things. And yet David recognized here that God really didn't want sacrifice alone. He wanted a humble heart. You know, as we looked at the Sunday school lesson, the thought that, that stood out to me greatly was not was that with Saul and David, both sinned. And their response to their sin is what made the difference in in telling their heart that what mattered. And here, this is actually after one of those sins of David. And he says, I know, God, you really don't just want me to bring a sin offering. You want a humble heart that repents. That's what God loves. Let's look at another passage that gives us three more things that the Lord delights in. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. Going to first of all read verses 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let neither the mighty man glory in his might. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. I believe to many of us these verses are very well known. And they stand in stark contrast to previous verses which describe the treachery and wickedness of many of the people of Israel. And I think often we we take these verses, which we were told last Sunday we can't really take verses out of context too quickly, 
And I think that, that that applies here. But I would like to also look at some of the previous verses to give us an idea of what God is contrasting himself with. Beginning at verse 3 of Jeremiah 9, talking about the, the, the wicked there in the, in the land of Israel. They bend and they bend their tongues like a bow for lies. But they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. And they will deceive every one his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he layeth in wait. Shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Now, what concept came through there, I don't know, half a dozen times? It's one of the things the Lord hates. Lying and deceit. It's mentioned over and over. It's contrasting that. And I find it interesting that there's also two references there. They refuse to know me or they know not me. And then it goes down to verse 23 and 4. We're supposed to glory in knowing the Lord. And he contrasts his character, not that of deceit, but of loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. These three I'd like to look at a little bit deeper here. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 89. I would say this, this word loving kindness is translated mercy and kindness about as equally as it is loving kindness. And it's a hard word to really grasp as we heard last week. There's a lot of, of depth in, in the Hebrew. And somewhere I read that Hebrew may only have and don't quote me on the number, four to 6,000 words, and English has, is it 20, 30, 40 times that. And so each Hebrew word has a lot of meaning and depth. And we can't always confine it, and it may, it may mean more in different situations, but you can't just look for loving kindness to know what it means. Mercy, as Brother Ben said, is one of those aspects of, of God that he delights in. And here... The psalmist says that he will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. And that's, that's making, uh, bearing testimony to God's loving kindness. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Let's sing that together. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. 
I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness. With my mercies, his loving kindness. He delights in that, and he wants us to delight in that as well. I'd like to look at a few examples of God in loving kindness and his desire for us to, to exhibit that as well. And I'm going to go to the New Testament, Luke 6. Luke 6, verse 35. Jesus is teaching here and he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be, called, and you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Notice here that Jesus tells us to do something. And he says to do this because God does this. Your father. Your father is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He doesn't treat everyone like they deserve to be treated. He is merciful. You have enemies that hurt you and you have every right to retaliate, show mercy. Don't. There are people out there you could turn your back on and walk away from that are in need. Do good. Be merciful. Be kind. Here again, kindness and mercy, closely related in this, in this word. And if you do these things, you'll be called the children of the highest. Because God is merciful he desires you to be merciful. Titus speaks of, of when we were lost and God in his kindness sent the Savior and he didn't reward us because of our works of righteousness, but his mercy is what has saved us. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. 
The loving kindness of God is what sent our Savior. He delights in that. Why does He do that? It's who He is. It's what He delights in. Notice that the passage in Luke and also the one I'm going to look at in Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, they speak of doing these things and and showing mercy so that we can be like our Father. Ephesians 4, 31 through 5, 1. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. That sounds like a merciful person, does it not? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. God is kind. He expressed that in forgiving us, and that's His mercy coming through, and He asks us to do the same. Thinking of kindness, Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And I see here that's that kindness coming through again, that aspect of sharing, helping, looking for ways to be a blessing. There's a a verse in Hosea 6 that Jesus quotes, at least on one occasion, it's recorded in two Gospels, I believe. But it's uh, Hosea 6, Verse 6 says, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. And the Pharisees came to Jesus when he was eating with publicans and sinners, and they they murmured, they they were whispered, Why is he doing this? Why is he contaminating himself with these people that don't deserve to be messed with by someone that is respectable? And Jesus quotes this verse, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. And I see that a lack of mercy will result in a judgmental, a proud attitude. And I think that ties back into those things the Lord hates, that proud look. Mercy is the opposite, that mercy and kindness, the opposite of that proud look, that pride that will lift ourselves up. Kindness is looking out for the good of others. These are the things that the Lord delights in. Another thing there in Jeremiah is that of judgment. When I think of judgment, you think of fairness or or rightness. You know, a judge is a man that decides who is right or wrong, what is true, and also decides the punishment that is appropriate for an offense. It's hard to sometimes find very clear definitions for words that are used very frequently and you have to just look at the way they're used and this word judgment again has a lot of of implications that often speaks as a a noun of of the law of God's uh, expectations but it basically is is implementing what is right what is according to God what his character would exemplify 
Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 is one of, of many places where it speaks and it lumps these things together, some of these ideas together there. We'll pull these verses out of that passage. It says, Wash you and make you clean. Put away evil from your do- the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. God is a God of justice. And we may question at times how he can be when life is so unfair for so many, but I think we do well to remember that God is not finished yet. Um, I had to think of the verse in, in 2 Peter where it says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. God will write things in his time. But as we look back at these ideas of judgment, relief of oppressed, pleading for the widow, it's somewhat related to mercy. But it's that act, the, the thought of being, of being fair and, expect, and, and doing what you can to make things right for others. And as I considered that, I went back to Proverbs 6 where it talks about those that would be running to mischief and shedding innocent blood. It's the opposite of judgment. It's the opposite of, of a, a right way to walk and to do. Judgment. Being fair, yes, life is not always fair, but yet doing our part to make things right. To be fair in our dealings. Jeremiah 22, verse 3 says, Thus saith the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless nor the widow, Neither shed innocent blood in this place. God is a God of judgment. Not just punishment, but of fairness. Following those verse, that verse in Jeremiah 22, later on the prophet is speaking of Josiah to one of Josiah's about, I think his, his son Shalom, which Josiah was a, a righteous man. At least he was spoken of well. And he says here in verse 15, he's speaking to this Shalom. He says, Shalt thou reign because thou closest thyself in cedar? He had done a bunch of things and built himself a fancy palace. He said, Did not thy father eat and drink and do judgment and justice? And then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. Was not this to know me, saith the Lord? Was not this to know me? There's an underlying theme that I came across in studying this and thinking back to some other references I've made in previous messages, and that is knowing the Lord. Do you see that here in some of these passages? Do you recall... They refuse to know me. And I'd say that when we strive to know the Lord, that is what he delights in as well. And it results in how we act. This man was blessed 
he was it went well with him, Josiah, because he judged the cause of the poor and needy. And that is so contrasted to those that seek to do the, to the hurt of others. Righteousness, the third of those three. And I would say in parentheses, I, I'm labeling that integrity. The opposite of lying and deceit. God is a God of righteousness, of integrity, and that's what he delights in in his people. In Proverbs 11.1, 1, we looked at this idea two weeks ago about deception in how you would measure things, using one bucket to measure what you buy and another what you sell to your advantage. And Proverbs 11.1, 1, it says, A false balance and it's an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. There's that integrity. Doing what is right. Proverbs 12.22, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that do deal truly are His delight. Honesty. Honesty. Uprightness. Not hiding anything. Righteousness. These are the things the Lord delights in. In Proverbs eleven twenty four, it says, There is that scattereth, yet increaseth. There is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Now, this verse I, I find very interesting because it, it brings the idea of liberality, of, of generosity. And because we give away, we are blessed. It also talks about withholding. And... Withholding, it says in the King James here, withholding more than is meat. Um, there's a, a literal, another version, it's called the literal standard version that I find very interesting and helpful as it, it puts things in a very literal perspective. And the, ver, the word here used is, the phrase there would be, and one who is keeping back from uprightness. It has the idea of withholding what is due someone. Perhaps cheating. And we may do that thinking we can keep it for ourselves, but it leads to poverty. It leads, God will not, cannot bless that. Integrity in our doings. Proverbs 15, verse 8 and 9. It speaks about sacrifice again here. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. How is that practical in your life? You know, some of these concepts are so basic, they're so foundational. And sometimes I find it difficult to know how to really bring this to, to the meatiness of your daily thought and life. Because righteousness, 
really is who we are or who we aren't. And it affects every part. And I think honesty and integrity and business dealings, the way we speak about one another, the way we look on other people to judge them, what we want to consume our time with, these things all stem out of our our attitude or our, not our attitude, the, the amount of desire we have to exhibit these characteristics that the Lord loves of loving kindness, of judgment, and of righteousness. Micah chapter 6, verse 6, the prophet asks a question. It says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? What can I do to please God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Surely these things would please God. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. There we see that triplet again of judgment, mercy, loving kindness, and righteousness. Those are the things the Lord loves. Some words of Jesus in John chapter 14. Verses 21 to 24, Jesus himself tells us what he loves, who he loves. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judith saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. See, the heart matters, and love is from the heart, and so the heart's all that matters, and what the heart loves will come out. And that's what Jesus is saying. What you love will be expressed, it will be known, and when it's known, you will be loved if you are walking in the commandments of the Lord. Lastly, I'd just like to ask, what is the purpose of knowing what the Lord loves? I looked at it there briefly, perhaps, but Matthew 5, if you would turn there, What good is it to know what the Lord loves? Matthew 5, 43 to 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. 
But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For he love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Another rendering of that word perfect could be complete or mature. Our Father has knows what it means to be merciful, to be righteous. And here it says that if we do these things that are perhaps contrary to our, our nature, that are definitely contrary to the things the Lord hates, that we will be the children of our Father which is in heaven. And this is a concept that I find intriguing. I have children. I am a child. And I have people that have told me for the last 30 years that I remember that I look just like my dad. And it never really bothered me, but Brother Eli Slayball told me one time, and I was probably about 13 or 14, he said, you know, he said, that's, I don't know exactly the word, but he said, that's a blessing. He said, your dad's worth looking like. Worth being like. We're here to imitate our father. And I read this verse in Ephesians 4, verses 32, and then verse five, verse, chapter 5, verse 1. And the New King James would say in first, chapter 5, 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. We want to please the Lord, and that's what pleases Him, is when we do the things that He loves. We are intrinsically the thing that he loves as we put these characteristics into action. I'd like to read a, a quote from F.B. Meyer. It's specifically speaking of Ephesians chapter 1, but it, it fits all of this. It says, It is indeed a high calling to imitate God and to walk in love after the measure of Christ, but it will be impossible unless we open our innermost heart to the Holy Spirit. We must not only sacrifice ourselves for others, but there should be a fragrance in all that we do, an odor of a sweet smell. We must be as distinct from the worldly as light is from darkness. There should be no twilight in our testimony for our Lord, though there may be some considerable obscurity in our views of the truth. I think there is what he's saying is our understanding of all the ways of God. But whatever is unfruitful, whatever we should blush to have transcribed or read to the world, whatever would be inconsistent with the strong, clear light of the throne of God and the Lamb must be avoided. We must walk in the light of the Lord. Then we ourselves shall become luminous as some diamonds do after being held in the sunshine, 
People who love darkness will avoid and hate us, but their treatment may be only a cause for our own encouragement as God becomes increasingly precious to us. The children there, he made an, an, a, a, he likened being in the light of the Lord to those, I've seen these little stars that people put up on their bedroom ceiling. That when the light's on, they're just there. But when you turn the light off, they glow, even after the light's off for a while. And he, this, this man's writing here and saying, that's how it is, is we are like God, or we, are, we endeavor to, to live right as God would have us to. We actually can shine a little bit. Not from ourselves, but it's the light of God that continues to radiate after, after that light's turned off. That's the way our lives can be. Finally, in conclusion, I'd like to read Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God.